Hello and welcome to Life Beyond the Numbers, the podcast for people who are curious about how to have a more fulfilling work life. We live in a world largely driven by numbers, logic and reason. But how we feel at work and about our work impacts us, our organisations and society. There is a relationship between the numbers of our organisations and the life beyond the numbers. I'm Susan Michrielon, your host. I've lived and worked in many countries. I've met people who love what they do and people who don't. People who bring their full selves to work and people who won't. But one thing that I've learned that is common to us all is that we are all unique and have unique experiences. And it's helpful to know that there are others who think like we do, or have had struggles too, or have gone where we want to go, or can show us things we didn't know. So join me and my guests as we place a lens on the human side of work life by sharing insights, stories and strategies to inspire you to let your uniqueness shine. Today I am really delighted to welcome Paul Carvanis to Life Beyond the Numbers. Paul, you're so welcome. Thank you very much for having me. We've been having some technical difficulties, so fingers crossed this one is going to go better. Nothing like that feeling, you know, I'm all about emotions and feelings and I could feel the frustration coming through and all of that, but I kind of have to let it go to have a good conversation. So, yeah. center. Yeah, myself. I mean, it, it'll be interesting too for the listeners, right? Do they hear any sort of franticness or any quickness in our voices? They won't have the before and after of like the first time we tried this 30 minutes ago. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it is interesting to see what comes through. It is. And one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you, and there, there's a couple, but one of them was something on your LinkedIn profile that, that stood out, which is you said you've made it your life's mission to be content and to fully live life. Yeah, we're given this map to success, right? That, hey, work hard, get good grades, get into a good post-secondary school, still continue to work hard, get a good job, work hard there, do well, become a success, earn lots of money, and you'll be happy. And so I'd followed this map. I'd done as well as I could, gone as high as I could. And I was sitting there as a corporate lawyer making pretty good money for a guy in my mid-20s, wearing like nice Armani suits and Tro Milano Paisley silk ties and whatever. And just not happy with life. And it almost felt as if I was mortgaging my present for the sake of my future. I didn't want to keep doing it, but I kept doing it anyway because I was afraid of doing something else, what the consequences would be of walking away from it. And one of my mentors, this guy named Giovanni Marsico, he runs the Archangel events here in Canada and US. He says that our greatest gifts are often next to our greatest wounds. 
And I think that the act of showing up every day to do something I really wanted to do and didn't really feel was necessary was in a way, its own way of wounding myself. And I think out of that, one of my gifts is that I am relentless in pursuing this contented, this happy life for myself, because really that's what I view as happy, right? I'm in the middle of writing this book, The Happy Lawyer, which is the result of my Happy Lawyer project, which is two years I've interviewed over a hundred lawyers. Interestingly, some people push back like, oh no, happy isn't worth pursuing. And other people will stop and say, well, actually, what do you mean by happy <laughs> first, right? And I've been thinking it through and the, the definition that I have so far is simply that it is the good life well lived. And that is what I'm pursuing for myself. And to me, that good life is characterized by satisfaction and contentedness. I'm always going to be happy, but I can still be satisfied. So I don't know if that answers the question. <laughs> well, it does. And it also shows or throws up a bunch of other questions, because obviously there was a lot in that answer. Maybe the first thing that comes to mind for me, though, is. Is the formula to happiness or a life well lived or a good life well lived different for everyone? If we work backwards, I think the good life well lived looks different for each one of us, right? So whether the formula is different or whether the application of the formula is different, I think that the differences need to be built in there. I happen to believe that the formula is the same and that it is the application of the formula that looks different for each of us. And this is from the Happy Lawyer Project, we're just talking to all of these happy lawyers, these miserable lawyers, and all sorts of lawyers in between, I started to see patterns, things that the happy lawyers all had in common. It's like, okay, well, there are a few commonalities, let's say, over the good life, but it's not necessarily that those lives all looked the same, because they didn't. What it was instead was just, if you, you step back the way people were approaching it. Like, one thing was all the people were self-aware. Right. All of the happy lawyers were self-aware. Some unhappy lawyers were self-aware too. So it's not like it was the only element, but it certainly seemed like it was a prerequisite. And so even though that happy life looks different for each of them, who they need to be to get there is someone who has that awareness to look, to try and figure out what that life looks like for them. Yeah. And that's back to, I guess, what you were talking about a little bit in the beginning, because for you, you followed the map. You followed the map that everyone else follows. And it's familiar to probably to most people listening have gone that, let's call it the traditional route, the well-paved road, whatever. And when did you notice that it wasn't working or it wasn't what you thought you had signed up for. And even like, even if we went back further, it's like, what did you want to be when you grew up? I did not know what I wanted to be when I grew up. Law was my second choice. 
because I did not know what my first choice was. But time waits for no man and no woman, and so or anyone else for that matter. And so it came time to choose, and both of my parents were lawyers, and they seemed happy enough, so I chose it. And as for what the like when I realized it's funny you ask because there was a very specific moment. I, I was on the worst file ever. Okay. I was a second year lawyer. I was on the worst file ever. There was a senior associate who was checked out and a little bit grumpy. There was a senior partner who had these high expectations but wasn't helping. The work itself was boring. The client was demanding. It's like, this is the worst file. Like I've just got the most rotten luck to be on this. And then I got the pens down email. Now the pens down email says, put your pens down. This deal is done. And so I got the pens down email. The worst file ever was over. And I was thanking my great luck. I was like, this is amazing. The next week I was on a new file, same senior associate, different partner, different client. And I was like, no, 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 this file is the worst file ever. Like me last week was so mistaken. That guy was out to lunch. This file is the worst file ever. But then would you believe my luck? I got another pens down email. I'm running down the hallway. Like this is late in the evening. So it wasn't that weird, but running down the hallway to my buddy's office, just celebrating. And then the week following that first file came back to life. And I was put on it again. And I thought, oh, no, no, no. This really is the worst file. Paul, last week, who thought he was mistaken, was mistaken. This is the worst file. And I realized that every file was the worst file. And I was only happy in retrospect. And so the thing I was working on, I didn't actually want to do. And it was only afterwards, looking back, that I was like, okay, there was some good. But my life has lived in the moments I'm living it. It's lived in the present. And I realized like, this is a present I don't want to be in right now. That's like, that sends a shiver down my spine. It's so true that we live in, in the present, the moment in front of us, the moment we're in now, we're actually living through, we live through the technical issues we had at the beginning. And yet we don't, always appreciate that this is our life. I find most of us don't. And I don't want to put myself up on a high horse. I'm one of those people too, right? I still do this work and I still find myself a lot of the time. I'm not actually in the present. I'm worrying about the future or beating myself up over the past. So how do we become more thoughtful, I would say, about remaining in the present, because we can't be in the here and now all of the time. We do have to do some planning and we have to think back about things. And reflection is actually a very powerful tool, for example. But understanding, I think intellectually, we understand we have one life and that this is the life we are living. And I don't know that we appreciate it. So how do we do so that? Yeah, I've, I've got a few thoughts that are coming up for me as you're talking, and then we can circle back and see if the question got answered. Uh, the first one is, I was actually listening to your podcast. I think you had Robbie Swales on. Great episode. So anyone listening who didn't hear it, I would recommend you go back. He talked a decent amount about atomic habits and 
getting stuff in. So I'm not going to go over that stuff again, but I will just say that our way of thinking can be viewed as a habit, right? So when we're constantly walking around and not in the present, that's our habit to not be in the present. And so how do we do it? Well, the same way we do everything else, one step at a time, right? But it takes intention. It takes taking the step and then it takes taking the next step. The, the other thing that came up for me as you're talking is the need for self-compassion. It is unrealistic for us to expect that we are going to be in every single present moment, not to mention at some point there is a, an advantage to casting your mind back into the past and casting your mind out into the future. And so if we're that present, at some point we start to miss that as well. So I think we just need to have realistic expectations for ourselves. This came up. So this is a spoiler alert for the happy lawyer stuff, that one of the foundational elements that these happy lawyers had in common, they were self-compassionate. Now, what does self-compassionate mean? There's a few pieces that go into it. The first one, probably the most obvious one, is being kind to yourself. Okay. And that is almost a how you're treating yourself as opposed to the what. And I was running a workshop with my lawyer masterminds and we were diving into self-compassion and we were talking about it. And one of the guys made the point, he says that it is not self-compassionate to give yourself unreasonable expectations. It's like, that's not being kind to yourself. It, imagine Cinderella scrubbing the floor, but like the mother is kind to her while she's doing it, but she's still on her hands and knees cleaning up after everybody else. Like that is not kind. And you can say kind words, but unless there's kind expectations too, it's not actually kind. And so when we approach ourselves and say like, yes, my day, my life is made up of days. And so my days are made up of moments. Am I in this moment? Am I actually living it? Am I actually living my life? We need to be kind to ourselves in terms of what we expect from ourselves. We do. And suppose, you know, what I what I'm thinking about is this is all well and good when we know, when we've got that self-awareness or we've taken that step, like perhaps you did walking away from your lawyer career or I did leaving behind an accountancy career or whatever career and choosing a different path. And maybe it goes back to what you said about every file being the worst file ever. How do we see the pattern? How do we start to understand ourselves enough that we can say, you know, our expectations might be realistic to the situation we're in, but they mightn't be the optimal expectations that we could have of ourselves. Yeah, that's really interesting, right? The idea of fine-tuning your expectations because too high and you are grinding yourself down too low and you're leaving potential on the table, right? I myself, and certainly a lot of the people I talk to, 
don't like this idea of going too easy on ourselves and leaving potential on the table. It, it is worth the question to what end, right? Like most of us would probably agree that the goal of life is not to accumulate the most possible wealth, that there's other good things in life that we should attend some of our resources to. And yet, is it not the same argument for potential? Like, is the goal of life just to maximize your potential? I mean, I would think not, that there's other stuff too, right? That there's relationships and that there's moments and that there's all of that stuff that it's not just about achieving, achieving, achieving all the time. So, so there's that, there's that interesting balance of like how we right size our expectations for what we want out of life. And to answer your question about the awareness, I mean, there's a bunch of different ways. I think it, it is clear that awareness is a critical ingredient. How we get there, honestly, it doesn't matter. There's different ways that are great. The best way, I mean, the one that I've made my profession out of is getting help, right? The, the expression is, it's hard to read the label when your head is in the bottle. Getting the outside perspective, whether it's a coach, whether it's a therapist, whether it's a, a trusted friend who will actually tell it to you like it is, getting help really helps. Also, you could be like me. One of my skills is recognizing patterns. I'm not sure I truly realized that this was a skill of mine vis-a-vis -vis other people. I am in a mastermind group. And there's about 15 of us and every month we're paired with someone new now and the pairings are released it's a list of people in one column a list of people in a second column and you're just matched up with whoever you're matched up with and no one knows how it's going to go but then i realized like oh i'm looking down the list and i was matched up with the person right above my name the last time and the person right above that the time before and i realized oh it's just two lists. And I mentioned this to one of the other people saying like, oh, we're going to be partners in two months. And he was like, what the hell? And so I explained to him the rationale. And he's like, it's almost like you're counting cards. I'm like, no, I'm not counting cards. Maybe I'm counting cards if you're playing with a deck of 15 cards and all the cards are face up. But to me, it's just a simple pattern, right? And so look, ideally you can recognize these patterns. Like I know for myself, one of my patterns, I call it the 5 p.m. fridge raid. I wake up in the morning, I'm anxious, and it's it's governing my day, it's choosing the things I'm working on, it's choosing how I'm approaching those things, but I don't check in, I don't realize I'm anxious. I do this work, and still, I'm not like that. And the only time I really realize I'm anxious is when I'm at the fridge at 5 p.m. for the third time in the previous 30 minutes. I'm like, oh, you're not hungry, you're just snacking. There's something going on. What's going on? And I've just now recognized that pattern. And so I think that if we turn our awareness to our lives, the patterns for us are going to show up. I agree. And I, I think we can extend that as well to the workplace and even changing jobs. Like the file. <laughs> you know, there was a pattern to the files that... The last file was better. The last file was better. It's the same in, in a job, I guess. I turned over every three years or so. And mostly I ended up in the same situation that I had left the previous job for. And so there was a pattern there. It wasn't all of them 
that there was something going on with, it was me. And once I began to see that, then I could start to take action. And it's easy to jump out of a bad situation without learning a lesson, without reflecting on it, that it had something to do with you. Our workplaces are full of disengaged people, unhappy people. What can people start doing at work to think about their role in their level of happiness? It's not uncommon for people, lawyers especially, to come to me and they're considering leaving the law. And we talk about that, right? And I think the biggest point that I try to make is what you started with. And it's the cute phrase, wherever you go, that's where you are. And it's true, like you can jump to a different job, but you're the same person, right? And so the key actually is not just to change your circumstances, but to change who you're being, right? And we do that the way we do everything else, right? One step at a time. And so I actually think that the small actions, I don't want to say that they're better than the big actions, a big action, like leaving your job, like if someone's not happy, I don't think they're better per se, but they offer things that the big actions don't. One of the biggest things they offer is that it is hard for us sometimes to take action when we're sitting here and we're thinking like, oh, I want to leave this profession or I want to leave this job and I'm sort of scared and what happens and blah, 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 blah. So we'll just take a small action. Now there's one client I was working with recently, just a few months ago, who was seriously considering leaving law. And it was the same thing. We talked about how, and actually I'll, I'll use the words of, of Nick Wignall. So he's a psychologist. He has a weekly newsletter every Monday called The Friendly Mind. And I really like this guy. And he says that the patterns that you have, a lot of time and effort is spent trying to find why those patterns started. He goes, it's not really that important. What's important is what is keeping them going in the present. And so, yeah, I mean, like the client that I had was showing up to his life with dissatisfaction in the present. So it's actually less about the job and more about how do we change our mindset? Yeah, when you were talking, I was thinking about how we, as professionals, and I'll use that with an inverted commas, but working in the law, working in accounting, working many different professions, we tend to invest our learning into the technical side of our jobs. And, and it's probably how the organizations are shaped as well. And I wonder, is it because we're people? We don't really think we can be better versions of ourselves or that we need to invest time. You know, you said get help. You can't see the, the label when you're inside the bottle. I agree that actually getting help, individual coaching was probably the best thing that I ever did. And I can remember the first time I sat down with a coach, he said to me, do you want to be a better person? 
And my response was, you know, I think I'm pretty good the way I am. And I guess I, I wasn't aware of what I wasn't aware of. And now it's, am, am I ever going to reach that potential? We talked about potential earlier, but I think there is potential not just in what I can achieve, but in who I am and what my relationships are like and all of these other things. But what's my question here? <laughs> it's about the investment in yourself and, and starting with you. I think part of the reason that we focus on skills as opposed to who we are is just a question of normalization. That's sort of what's done, right? There's not that many people that are doing the self-improvement, right? In the corporate spheres, my statement there is more true of like 10 years ago and less of now, and hopefully less than 10 years from now. But the, the, the old Jim Rohn quote, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with, is true, right? You don't need to just look at five, you can look at it on a spectrum. And so all the people around you, all of your colleagues, if they're all focusing on skills and not on who they're showing up as, then it's not that surprising that you're gonna do the same. James Clear, the guy who wrote Atomic Habits says something really interesting in one of his newsletters. He said, never try to get change through willpower when you have not first tried to reduce the friction in your environment. Right. The idea being you can either try and show up and spend your willpower every single day on that thing, or you can just make it so that that thing happens automatically by optimizing your environment for it. And that includes the people around you. They're a part of your environment. The other thing that came up to me while you're talking is you're talking about this since working with that coach and realizing you have more potential to grow into. I've been going on a bit of a spiritual journey lately. And when you said that, I just saw the other side of the coin and realized that actually, Susan, you are already all of that potential. You don't need to change. You don't need to become anything new. You just need to like flip the coin and look at the other side of it. If that makes sense. I have a coin here on my desk. I was doing some writing this morning. So it's like it's it's already frozen now. It's like really. Yeah, I'm, I I can hear you. I can hear you. I was saying I have this coin on my desk, and that's exactly what I was thinking about earlier today. Now, anyone listening, I'm actually showing Paul a coin, and I was thinking about how we are both sides of this coin. We're inextricably linked, whether that's mind and body, thoughts and feelings and so on and you're giving it to me in a different way that and and sorry we got cut off when you were speaking so that's why I kind of bought it in and I stopped your train of thought I think because you were saying to me I just need to flip the coin no I, I had finished you hadn't interrupted me okay <laughs> you do just need to flip the coin like all of that potential doesn't need to be in your future to wonder whether you'll ever reach there, right? The personal growth stuff. This is different than putting something out into the world. The book needs to be written one word at a time. But who you are, who you show up as, it's always a multitude of options. So you just be the option that you want. 
to be, and then you've done it, right? And in a way, you can collapse time, so you don't need to slowly become that person. It doesn't need to be slow. It doesn't even need to take time. How do we do it is a different question. That I don't know as much, right? Like that I'm still learning myself. I'm working with people who've done a lot of plant medicine, and they swear by that. I've been trying microdoses and that has been interesting. And I have an intention to try a macrodose when I find the right opportunity with the right guides. But as well, I suspect we all have different triggers. And so I'm not going to offer this as, as an idea that it is a universal one. But I've noticed for myself that space, giving myself a bit of space, both in terms of time and in terms of expectations, here we are looping back to those again, that space for me is really important. And the intentionality is really important. So I've been working through The Artist's Way. It's a book by Julia Cameron. And it's a 12-week program, the same way that Alcohol Anonymous is a 12-weeks program. But instead of being for alcoholics, this one is for blocked creatives. And Julia Cameron takes the view that is spiritual path. And so I've been working through that. And I have found that it's made a difference. And so that's why like, I'm on a spiritual journey. I'm doing the morning pages. She prescribes, even though it's half an hour every day. But the extra awareness that comes from it working with other people who've made the changes I seek to make and even just seeing how they respond, like giving them criticism, I think is rightly so for ways that they can improve, giving them constructive criticism and just seeing how they handle it, seeing how they take their ego, acknowledge it and also move it aside and like sit in the space where these other things are also true. And, and so I guess it does come back too, to the people you keep around you. Mm. I think we've only scratched the surface of the conversation. Yeah. <laughs> but that's okay because you're writing a book and it's almost towards completion as far as I'm aware. <laughs> and it's going to be out later in the year. So we can have you back after that to have another conversation, Paul. I'd, I'd love to be back. I'd, I'd like to, to have back. you back as well. And there's one thing I wanted to pick up on. Episode 71, which is called Your True Self, is with a guy called Jonathan DePotter. Okay. And he runs an organization called Behold Retreats, B-E-H-O-L-D. And plant medicine is his thing. Uh, so he might be worth checking out. My My big issue these days is... I've got a young family. We've got a five and a half year old. We've got a two year old. I'm, I'm trying to write this book. I also have a signature talk that I've created from the Happy Lawyer Project. And uh, there's just so many things. And so I love the idea of going on like a big retreat to Ecuador or Costa Rica or something, which I'm assuming is the behold retreats. I'm assuming they do that. But the idea of carving out whatever, five to seven days, and then hoisting these two little guys on my wife while she tries to work a full-time job. I'm like, that. I don't know if that's totally fair. Like, my healing is important, and at the same time, let's try and find a way to make it work <laughs> in the family. 
And that's so true, isn't it? It's a nice way of ending our conversation, actually, because it's the reality all of us face all the time is how do we find that balance between what we need and what the others in our lives need and what works for everyone so we can live our best lives. Yeah. It's not always... Compromise might not be the right word, but sometimes the timing has to be right. Totally. And if time and money and all of those things were something we didn't have to contend with, then perhaps all of us would choose differently. I think that we we make choices about where to spend our time every second we make choices about where to spend our money multiple times every day and a lot of those choices aren't actually aligned with who we most want to be and so i would think that if we leave anybody with even any one thing i think what ties together what we've been talking about recently is brendan burchard's advice The main thing is keeping the main thing, the main thing, right? And so it's not about choosing more. It's about choosing less. It's about making sure that the things that matter most to you get prioritized. And that could be managing your household with young kids. It could be your healing. It could be your business success, whatever it is. But I've just noticed that the more I focus, the more those needles move. And the more I spread my attention, the less all of the needles move. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. So, Paul, if anyone would like to know more about you, what's the best way of connecting? I'm at leaderrising.com. And I think if you do leaderrising.com slash email, you can hop on the email list. I don't send them too frequently. But that's the best way to sort of connect. And if you get an email and reply, I read all of them and and pretty much trust you. So brilliant. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Paul. And I look forward to continuing this conversation another time. Yeah, me too. And with better internet, then we'll manifest it. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed the paths we traversed on today's episode. If something rang through for you, be sure to let me know. Or maybe you can share this with someone in your life who would benefit from listening too. And if you enjoy helping others, I'd be so grateful if you would leave a review so that people who might also be curious about their own life beyond the numbers can discover this podcast too.